Hi, I'm Robbie Phoenix. I'm with the band Sonic Octane. I'm also a entrepreneur and a former corporate guy that work with titans like Live Nation, AT&T, Verizon, and many more directly contributing $254 million. I have the pleasure and privilege of being on this episode of the Business Growth Architect Show to impart my learnings along the way in my journey, how to teach you how to compete to win. And that is both as an artist, as well as as a business person being an artist and a creative. So would you please join us? We're now about ready to begin. Welcome to the Business Growth Architect Show. I am Beata Shalette. I am the host. I want to welcome you to our globally top 10% ranked podcast, where you will hear from industry experts about the strategies that are working right now to unlock hidden opportunities in any market so that you can grow your authority and scale your impact. And now let's get started with the show. Welcome back, everybody. Here is Beata Shalet, the growth architect, the host of the Business Growth Architect Show. And today I'm talking to Robbie Phoenix with two X's at the end. And today I want to give you an advanced warning because today we're going to be talking about using creativity music, rock, also about authority platform building and taking a stand for or against something. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Biak. So for somebody who does not know you, tell us who you are and what is it that you do? Sure. And thank you again. My performance name is Robbie Phoenix. Yes, with the double X and X marks the spot in two careers. In fact, that's why the double X I've directly contributed $254 million to two Fortune 100 companies, having served as a competitive intelligence expert that is industry recognized. And by that, I've also parlayed that into a creative endeavor in Sonic Octane, which is my band's brand name. And Robbie Phoenix is one of the performers in that band lineup to bring in 30 million song plays and a daytime Emmy submission, also working with titans like Live Nation. So all along my career, I've been working with Fortune 1000 companies. I've been very blessed to, to have that opportunity. And it's, it's a delight to be here. Thank you for that. Let's dive into this. You come from a corporate background, but you clearly are a music man. Let's first understand who you are as Robbie. Oh, I love that you ask. And thank you. That's so kind of you to rewind a little. Truthfully, for your listeners, I was the guy that sat in his office in dark nights long, long hours as a top salesperson and a top engineer nationwide at Verizon, incidentally. And, you know, you get these moments of inspiration where you go, I can do more and I can do it better and I can innovate. And there are a lot of people in corporate America, I assure you, and even in the entrepreneurial circles, especially, and I did have a privilege to work in Beverly Hills for nearly a year, two years ago, where the, the, the plates are constantly spinning in one's head, where you go, there's a better approach. There's a the better solution for what the business needs. And how do we articulate and get it there? So that was me in my corporate life. And I, in fact, led multiple campaigns competing against titans like AT&T, Broadcom, and many, many others directly in the field and learning not only from a sales position and from an engineering and architecture perspective, but ultimately immersing myself in campaigns, marketing, campaign design and execution, working with phenoms like Marilyn Curl at the time, Mary Jean Nidivaji and others to help me learn that process and understand how we compete to win in the way the paradigm they were using. Over time, that led to me becoming a true bona fide competitive expert 
because I was also aware how to compete on the ground. You know, when you go through hundreds of field appointments, you know, to customer end locations, you learn very, very quickly what's important to them, how to qualify applications and use cases, whether it's a good fit or not for our portfolio. And ultimately, can we price to win and compete to win in other factors for that matter? So it led to all that stuff, which led to another apex in my career, which was I was hand-selected by two vice presidents to serve and found the competitive intelligence unit at Verizon's mid-market enterprise. And that led to an over $100 million contribution there through the support of my teams. That also led to another Fortune 100 knocking on my door professionally to hire as they were looking to scale and grow their global and U.S. enterprise sequential revenue growth through leveraging competitive intelligence. So that's my kind of corporate side. Now, you kind of, to your question, you asked about how do you link that world with like a music endeavor? Like, how does that connect? And I'll tell you exactly how. It's all about leveraging your competitive advantage through your creative advantage. Meaning for all those years I was spending in dark rooms and hallways when lights were off in buildings or I was at home working remote at times or even taking stuff in on weekends or vacations to self-educate and learn more about the business. I was actually creating new campaigns and new methods to tackle the competitors. So that was the first kind of awakening in myself of my calling to leverage creative advantage for your competitive advantage. And then when I went into music, I kind of flipped it and I approached it similarly though. I said, you know, there are a lot of artists out there that aren't making their dime anymore on the sale of CDs or what they call mechanical royalties. And there are a lot of artists still that sell their soul, it seems, on Spotify and other networks, not to poke fun at Spotify, but a lot of these major streaming companies are making bank off of the artists making their art dumping the music on their platforms and rolling the dice with some marketing dollars, hoping they'll be the next rock star. So I kind of knew that going in and being a former competitive intelligence lead, you get involved with serving of many, many senior executives who taught me a lot about strategy, like real strategy, not just the stuff you learn in Harvard and in the textbooks and in the executive MBAs that I was also a part of. And it led to me looking at that market radically differently. And that was basically taking the creative advantage of I can build relationships with people. God gave me the opportunity to be liked and supported by people every step of my career and beyond. And I happened to befriend a person that owned a nationally syndicated television show. Her name is Donna Drake. She's out of New York with her partner, Lou Vaccarelli. They nationally syndicate their television to 66 million U.S. households in the U.S. plus. And they drop content every month that gets picked up by local broadcast affiliates like NBC, ABC, the CW, all the major networks. And so as I'm friending them, they go, hey, we have another friend who is an independent filmmaker. She's super talented. She's pro-feminist, which is cool in my book because I serve diversity teams and companies for years. And I believe in that stuff when you really put it into motion the right way. And at the end of the day, this filmmaker was kind enough to take my very first single And not even having to release on Spotify and sell my soul, so to speak, financially. Not having to go to a record company and ask for like a distribution on vinyl, CD, or digital. And she put it in her miniseries as a title track because she loved the song so much. It was called Heaven Calling is the name of the song. And it earned, because of her good work and her relationships, over 30 million song plays as verified by IMDb data at the time. It was a five-episode miniseries called Little Cupid. It's not just any song, though. This is a very specific song, right? You want to tell us a little bit more about that? Because I think I want to make sure we stay, you know, that our listener really is reminded that as we're going through this, the story really here is on how you use sort of a strategic but creative approach to go through these transformations and looking actively for opportunity. You did the hard work, right? You did the hard time in corporate America. Definitely. And then you went and said, now now with all these marketing 
tips, tricks, ethical persuasion, a copywriting, sales strategy, which I'm sure you've been trained up to the gazoo. Now you said, but my real passion is music. So now you're going down a different road and you're looking for a creative approach. So you find this woman who has an audience, who has a platform. What is it that you gave her where she said, I need to put this out? The filmmakers saw one of our songs in particular very compatible with the storyline. It was a miniseries about post-traumatic stress syndrome and U.S. military coming home from service. And it so happened in the storyline that the uh, father of this young family unfortunately dies. He passes And so they're kind of emotionally dealing with the turmoil of not having a father and a husband in the home. And the song Heaven Calling happened to resonate with the filmmaker enough that she offered this opportunity to us through Donna and Lou, our five-star partners. And ultimately, that's what led to the success. But at the end of the day, I was absolutely not on market to go releasing content on YouTube or Spotify. Because when you're rolling a tour bus, which I also happen to have acquired back then to synergize costs within my own wheelhouse of my businesses... I didn't really want to go spending, you know, thousands of dollars of diesel. How many CDs are you going to have to sell at net to cover that cost? You know what I mean? You're talking 20,000 CDs roughly. It just, the P&Q wouldn't have made sense. The strategy going to filmmakers made perfect sense. And it was an awesome opportunity. That song on Little Cupid called Heaven Calling eventually was submitted for the title track of the miniseries. There was a derivative version of each of the songs in the front and end of every episode that was streamed. That was submitted for daytime Emmy consideration. And that also led to good things because then I had the platform to go and work and bustle for several months, mind you. But independently, we went forward with a team and we convinced Live Nation, one of the largest companies in the world in entertainment. I think it is the largest entertainment production company, yes. Right. And I literally have a memorandum, a planning memorandum here that I've kept (laughs) because it reminds me every day of the grit it took to get this accomplished humbly. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we convinced Live Nation after the Mandalay Bay unfortunate incident that happened at the Harvest Music Festival. And that was when uh, this uh, crazy person shot out of a hotel v- window and just killed killed an, a tremendous amount of people. Correct. With 50 caliber bullets raining down on the... It was a blunt force on the very soul of American music, in my humble opinion. And I was still in a corporate job moonlighting music, incidentally. And I was upstairs in this studio house in the living room on a bended knee to my awesome, amazing, beautiful wife, Joanne. And I begged her and I begged her and I said, honey, would you please allow me in some way meaningfully to to serve a better message around what happened here? And it just didn't seem like there were a lot of people standing to give out the right messages and elevate the social discourse. So that led to nearly $50,000 personal investment my family made. And we did broker a deal with Live Nation to film at one of their premier properties. It was on top of Mandalay Bay at the exclusive member-only foundation room. We commissioned the filming. We were there for an entire day of filming. And then we shot around Las Vegas with a bunch of talented people for nearly a week continuously with a crew of 18 people. And truly, by anyone's measure in the legitimate industry, having 30 million direct song plays on streaming with a daytime Emmy submission, and now we have Live Nation content and terabytes of high-quality 6K, 4K footage... And now we're making a little bit more of a name for ourselves. And that's kind of how I came into the music industry initially. And uh, we'll talk about the strategy uh, to authority building with a creative twist a little bit more in just a minute, right after this message. Are you looking for the hidden opportunities for you in this market? Or are you simply wanting to figure out what is your unique differentiation factor 
that makes clients want to work with you and not your competitors. If this resonates, I want to invite you to go to uncoverysession.com and schedule your 15-minute complimentary uncovery session with one of our business growth advisors that will take you through what your number one business growth blocker is, what you can do to remove it, and what your very best next step should be. And now, let's get back to the show. Beate Chalette is back with Robbie Phoenix, and we're talking about how to utilize sort of a backdoor strategy. So what made you believe in yourself? Or what was that belief that you went, nah, not doing any of the regular stuff. I'm not doing any of the other stuff that other people are doing. I'm not following the road. How did you even know there was another road? Oh, my gosh. Well, I will be honest with you and your listeners. I don't know that I still believe entirely in myself. Like I look at people <laughs> like Dave Grohl in your na- neighborhood, incidentally, and I would do almost anything within reason, you know, to to be that be that kind of storyteller. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like if I could earn his respect one day as an actual artist, right? Like you look at people like that and you go, they've been on tens of thousands of stages. They played at tens of thousands every show. I know what they gross every concert because it's on Polestar Pro and you can look it up. But at the end of the day, I go, yes, I did take a little bit of an unorthodox approach into the music industry. There's no doubt. How did I believe in myself? I think the first part of that is being humble to learn and being willing to like really educate on it. I've read Donald S. Passman's All You Need to Know About the Music Business, obviously is 101 for me. Another example is I started making friends in industry that had decades of direct experience, like John Coons, who's the head of Rock Rage Radio. And John Coons has taught me quite a bit as a mentor, as a, as a family friend, about how you manage artists and how you manage tour buses when they're moving down thousands of miles of highway And you have to manage a social media campaign and you have to be an artist performing on top of that. And he's been my rock, literally. And then you look at people like, as examples, you look at artists and you you read their biographies. Was it always so easy for Prince? Absolutely not. Like if you know anything about his upbringing and his background, before the major labels even bothered to accept him as an artist or you too for that matter, or I could go down the list. There are many artists that started humbly you may learn a little bit from their interviews and their biographies and say, there's something in that that I can appreciate and certainly relate to. And maybe I can do a little more for myself and build a little more confidence to do for myself instead of being a corporate hack. So it so happened, Tom Jones, who's a bit of an old schooler guy in the, the, the music community, might, one might say, and respectfully and lovingly, we happen to have rented his mansion in Bel Air. And we rented a Mercedes convertible, of course, a 500 SL. Why not? And we just started literally filming about this song. And it came out absolutely beautifully. It's a film narrative piece. It's not just your typical rock video with tattoos and, and you know, beer crushing cans on their foreheads and stuff like this. It was really done beautifully as a narrative work, which is unique to Sonic Octane. Did you do this sort of intuitively or did you do this with a clear strategic approach? The first round with this last song called What's Going Down by Sonic Octane was absolutely not a strategy. It truly was art for art's sake. And our vocalists happened to pick up and resonate on that theme. When we subsequently shot at Mandalay Bay and partnered with Live Nation to film the song we call The Reckoning, at that point, this strategy was crystal clear and very mature. By the time another couple of years flashed forward and what happened at the unfortunate Harvest Music Festival massacre, At that point, I was prepared enough to become kind of a self-enthroned, not credible or educated producer. 
But I was willing to assemble a team of 18 people to accomplish that. And that became part of the core strategy was the music should be about mission and it should leverage my full extent of my capabilities. And on the creative side, I already had a number of filming ventures under my belt, self-financed, self-produced with film narrative teams willing to do the work with me as partners. And this is how we executed. Would you say that it was helpful for you to have a solid foundation through your corporate education, but ultimately your creativity was like one of those things that couldn't be bottled up any longer. And then <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the visual I'm having is it's like almost like a little volcano eruption, right? Like you did as long as you could with what you had. And then with the tools intuitively, I think creativity or mission, we have a lot of heart-centered and vision a driven entrepreneurs who listen to this show. And that's why I really wanted to bring this conversation to us. I think it's okay to drive with a vision, but what I'm hearing from you very clearly is that you also have to have something else in your back pocket. What would you say to somebody that is like you, a creative and has an idea and it's not coming together? And I know there's many, many out there. Hmm. Is there a piece of advice? They have to build their authority, but they also have to make money. Right. So what would you tell them is a good way to get started? Number one, honest to God, and I'm still housekeeping this in my own immediate family, believe in yourself. Don't let others run your life. I'm 52. I've had two surgeries in the last three years, Piat. This has not been an easy ride in moments. And I'll tell you what, if it weren't for me believing in myself and my wife, I don't know where I'd be right now. Because if I listened to my parents or if I listened to my brother or others, I guarantee you I would have gone right back into the corporate life because it's easy, because it's also financially convenient. So first thing is I'd encourage you to serve your authentic self and believe in yourself. You know, it may not be a perfect belief and it's not every day for me. It may not even be that some friends are going to accept you for who you are as Robbie Phoenix, for example, right? And that's okay too. Well, that's not for everybody, but you got to believe in yourself. The second thing I'd encourage you to do is to read up. Like one thing my dad was super right about in my corporate career, at least, was to read up and educate. So I did get the executive MBA and I earned that privilege over two years of in-class study. And I did compete for that degree, even to have an opportunity to serve in that degree. I'd also say to read up in terms of your role models. Like a lot of artists I know They love to read the interviews about Eddie Van Halen and his very acts and his Marshall and all this kind of stuff. But what else, right? When he was growing up in the hood at the whiskey with, with like someone like Randy Rhodes, right? What really drove them to innovate? So I'd start with. So somebody who has listened to the show uh, and says, I, I want to talk to Robbie uh, a little bit further. Where do we send them? How can they learn more about you? Well, let's say first and foremost, I welcome any conversation with folks that want to either work and consult. So I do consulting for artists as well as for business leaders. And you can text Robbie to 33777. Just text Robbie, R-O-B-B-I-E to 33777. And you can literally connect with me there. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. So I'm going to give away a little house secret here when artists have names. My full name, Robert, and my last name is Zeas, Z-E-A-S. And I'm on LinkedIn. So you can connect with me there too, if you prefer. And I know a lot of artists aren't on LinkedIn. So I'm going to give you that text message option and just say, 
please connect with me there too. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. And I just want to make sure that everybody really understands what the show was today about. It was about a completely different approach from a different angle, specifically geared toward people that are entrepreneurs, but primarily and foremost artists and creatives and are not sure on how to combine the two of them. And you are a perfect example on how you how you combine two, and I will say out of my own personal experience, and I cannot stress this enough, as an artist, you have to hone the craft and you have to hone the business. You are hit with a double whammy because without the craft and your ability to be a performer or an artist or a painter or a photographer or a musician, whatever that is, without that, you're not going to achieve what you came out here to do. But if you forget to power this with a business side or make the number one mistake I see artists make waiting for the right person to help you to put it together, which is a horror story in the making because you have to know enough to know on whether or not they're full of shit or not. That happens all the time that you then find the business partner who just bleeds you dry. I mean, how many stories have we heard like that? So that was what today's story was about. Robbie, I thank you very much. We certainly wish you here at The Growth Architect nothing but the best with your music. And thank you so much for being on the show. It's my privilege. I hope to serve again. God bless. And that's it for us today. Thank you so much for listening or watching. This is your host, Beate Chalette, and goodbye. Thank you for listening to or watching the show. We are so excited that you're here and we are very grateful for you. Now it's our turn to ask you for help. Please do share this episode with one other person that needs to hear what we were talking about today. If there's any question you have about business, please do reach out to us and let us know. And don't forget to schedule your complimentary Uncovery Session at UncoverySession.com where one of our business growth advisors will help you to figure out what your number one business growth blocker is in only 15 minutes. And that's it for us today. Until next time.